Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. Uh, remember Jim Ranke, he was our area minister, and Jim Ranke is now a pastor at a church in Illinois. And so Phil is the, uh, I guess you'd call him the interim area minister, and he is here to answer some questions concerning our future, and he's going to be meeting with our council after church. But uh, I thought it would be a good idea for you to get to know him and for him to get to know you, since he's going to be a face uh, that's going to be around here for the next few months at least. So Phil, why don't you come up and share with us what God has placed on your heart. And if you notice in your bulletin, his name is spelled P-H-Y-L. And uh, I think there is a story behind that, isn't there? Oh, sure. Okay. okay. There is a story behind that. Yeah. Phil, welcome to our pulpit and welcome to our church. Thanks, brother. Yeah. It's so good to be here today. Thanks for having us here as I dig out my stuff. Uh, you know, I used to, I used to preach every Sunday in the same church like your pastor does. And uh, now I'm kind of an itinerant preacher, so I don't change sermons, I just change congregations. Uh, great, great trip here this morning, uh, just driving, driving down from Blaine where we live and, uh, and past Minnetonka with the waves lapping up on the white sandy beaches and all the boats out there this morning. Don't, don't we wish? Don't we wish? Uh, yeah, yeah, there, there's, there's a story about my name. My name, my name is spelled with a Y because, because it's a mistake. That's what the head nurse did in Delhart, Texas, when her dad was in the service. My folks saw it when they got back to North Dakota, and knowing my mother, she looked at it and said, well, that's different, and just thought it was fine. So I've been explaining, explaining it ever since. And, uh, and my last name is, is Putz. And uh, when you look at it, you might pronounce it differently. Well, all I say is some days I'm a putz, and some days something else. Um, so delightful to be here. It's been good to get to know uh, Pastor John. Met Vicky for the first time today. Delighted to meet you. Of course, Tony and Robin and Ron uh, met with met with them a couple of different times uh, as we talked about the future. And uh, Joe and I have been praying for you as you're facing this um, change. And um, I'll talk about that a little more later. And I don't know much later. What the, when does the siren go off here in town? You know, my hometown always went off at noon. You better be done preaching. <laughs> hey, he, has, he is a 49er fan. And the game today starts at 3.30. I'll be done by then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would like you to take your Bibles if you have them, and I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter. I'm going to take a bit of a chunky passage this morning and uh, try to just pull from it some things that I think are appropriate for today. 1 Peter 1, and uh, I'm going to be reading from verse 13 on. 1 Peter 1, 13 to the end of the chapter. 
Joe and I have been wearing masks this morning because we both had colds this last week, and we have a nurse daughter-in-law came over and tested us for COVID on when Friday, and uh, they're neg- it's negative, so we supposedly don't have that. But we thought we didn't want to share anything else with you either, so we're being a little careful for you, and actually for us too, because your immune system's a little down when you got that junk going on. So, just thought I'd mention that, and and uh, hopefully that you didn't look at us and say, uh, "Who is that mask stranger?" Um, not very many Lone Ranger fans here, I see. First Peter one thirteen to twenty five. There's a therefore. This starts with therefore. And the first part of the chapter just deals with the Jewish people who have been exiled from Israel, who have trusted Christ, and it deals with their position in Christ, all they have received from Christ. And he says, you've got all this from Christ. You have salvation in Christ. Therefore, With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living enduring word of God for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord endures forever and this is the word that was preached to you Father uh, as we begin to look into this word just give us grace to see the things that are important to us today for there is so much more every day that we see in your word and may you just use your word by the power of your spirit to be life changing for us today in Jesus name we pray amen so in this last half of this first chapter of peter there's a singular theme and that theme is Holiness. And I've titled this sermon, Toward a Distinctly Godly Life. God is absolutely holy, and so living a godly life can be defined as driving hard toward holiness. Have any of you ever been on a track team? Huh? Yeah, we've got a few, few folks that have done some whatever you did. Well... I never ran track until I got to college. In my junior year of college, my roommate talked me into trying out for track. 
And, and I did try out. And the, the short story is I, I made a team that wasn't very good. And I wasn't very good. But I, I ran the 880-yard dash, which is now the 800-meter dash. And I'd never run competitively before, so I never imagined all the stuff you got to know about running. Running isn't just running. You don't just run. There's all kinds of stuff. That a successful runner doesn't just need some kind of talent and a lot of endurance, though those things are very helpful. He or she also needs to acquire some micro skills, right? Like, like pacing yourself. They say of good runners that they have a clock in their head, that they know where they are in the race. Or something as simple of, as if when you're getting tired, if you can keep your jaw loose, the rest of your body might not tighten up quite so much. Uh, and then, then there's the thing to do with your arms. What do you do with your arms when you run? You've seen people run or walk sometimes, if you're a walker, and you'll see some people walk like, like this. That's a very inefficient way to walk. I guess if it works for you, do it, you know? But when you're running, you want to drive forwards and backwards because that one thing uh, caused running to get easier and faster for us when we did it that way. May I say that Peter is urging the Jewish Christians and God is urging us today to intentionally push towards holiness. That's one of those words that we find, might find ourselves using uh, even in slang sometimes, right? But its meaning is easily missed. For instance, the Webster Dictionary defines holiness as the state of being holy. That's not very helpful, is it? Well, the Hebrew word, kodesh, uh, really, uh, we get our word holy from that as it's translated from the Old Testament, literally means set-apartness or separateness. The Greek word, Hagias, which you don't care about those words, but that's what they are, used in this passage that we just read, while traditionally translated holy, has at its root meaning different. So you can see the idea of separateness or distinctiveness. There's a reason why Peter begins his letter on the topic of living a holy life. And the reason is that the way we live always comes out of our inner being, from our heart. And the Proverbs writer put it this way in Proverbs 4.23. He says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the, depends on translation, the springs or the issues of life. And so today, today I'd like to draw your attention to three things that point toward godly and holy living as Peter lays them out in this passage. And the first one, and you've got those notes in the back of your bulletin, so there'll be no surprises about the points I'm making. The first thing that I see in this passage is that we should be living life viewed from the other end. In a sense, we should be viewing our lives from the casket back. One author put it, prepared to die, expect to live. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard or even read Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The second habit that he mentions is, begin with the end in mind. And the way he writes it, he says, 
you need to imagine yourself at a funeral. Not just any funeral. Your funeral. Imagine how your life might look in the rearview mirror and then ask yourself the question, how do I want it to look? And even more importantly, how does God want it to look? The writer of Hebrews enlarges on this idea in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. He writes, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so in this passage, the apostle Peter wrote, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. And that's even further than the casket, maybe, unless he comes in a lifetime. I thought about how, how would I say this if I was just kind of talking. This is what I wrote. Keeping a serious eye on both your own heart and what is around you, Resist the attraction of evil desires and intentionally set yourself apart, dedicated and reserved to honor God with your life. See, it's like a bride and groom saving themselves for each other. And so we as Christians and the church of Jesus Christ ought to be saving ourselves in purity for the day that we sit at the marriage feast of the Lamb that John talks about in Revelation 19. And he, he says that it will be with Christ. The marriage will happen between the church and Christ. So the question is, how do you know you're pursuing a holy life? One preacher, I thought, puts it very well. He said... Simply this, what Jesus touches, he changes. What Jesus touches, he changes. Been stuck lately? What Jesus touches, he changes. Think with me a moment about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, that word disciple we use a lot simply means follower, right? So, Let's, let's suspend our disbelief a little bit this morning and think of what it would be like if someone stuck their head in the door, whichever door it is, and yelled, Hey, Jesus is walking by here this morning. What would you do? He's walking. In fact, if you guys don't get out of here, he's going to be gone out of sight pretty soon. What would you do? Would you say, uh, well, I hope the preacher finishes fast so we can get out of here after the benediction? Or maybe you just kind of jump out in the middle of the sermon and stick your head out the door so you can say, I saw Jesus. Or maybe you have a, a special Bible with you this morning and a pen, and you just rush out and ask him to autograph it. So you can say, I have a Bible autographed by Jesus. Or would you just stay here where it's warm and comfortable and say, that was, that was surely something that Jesus walked by today? Or would you actually follow him and maybe speed up to get closer? And what would it feel like to, 
to feel a clap of his hand on your shoulder and say, hey, glad you're with me. May I say along with Peter that the only way to run toward this holiness thing is to begin with the end in mind and say, when I meet Jesus, how's that meeting going to be? What are people going to say at my funeral? I've wondered what my kids are going to say about me at my funeral. I'm kind of glad I won't be there. You know, maybe it'll be embarrassing. Second thing. Live knowing that God is your only hope, verses 17 to 21, especially 17 and 21, where Peter writes, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Keep that phrase in mind. And then in verse 21, through him, that is Christ, through Christ, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. The first thing I see here is this, this combination of these words, hope and fear, hope and fear. And we're called to live in a reverent fear of God because we don't belong to this world, we just live in it. And how prone we are to be influenced by everything around us. How, how often we're looking over our shoulders because we're worried about stuff. Uh, and, and you mentioned it this morning. Sky, is that your name? Hi, Sky. Um, that, that it, you know, so often it's just, it's just cloudy. And, uh, and we see the, Somebody else said the political stuff that's going on, the social stuff that's going on, and the pandemic stuff that's going on, and the opinions about everything. We're even afraid to talk about stuff with each other anymore. We can't even safely bring up the question, are you vaccinated? Might start a fight. How can we wear a mask this morning? You think you're better than we are? You know, I mean, just crazy stuff is going on. Families are getting split and everything over those kind of conversations. And we live in different kinds of fear. But when we fear God, other fears fade into the distance. And we can live out our life in courage and strength. And then that brings us to the other side of the coin. And it's the hope it's hope and the absence of fear. The person who is afraid of what others think or afraid of losing something they have, their money or their possessions or investments or, or being around people who suffer are demonstrating that something about those things are the most important things. But I'm telling you this morning, the person who fears God need not fear anything else. You don't have to be afraid. After all, everything we have comes from God. And yes, if you're a follower of Jesus, there, there is a time and a place or a period of time when you, you moved in to have faith in Him and place your trust in Him for salvation. But even the capability to do that is not your own. The Bible says no one comes to the Father except He first draws them. It's in the Bible. Every piece of our faith is a gift from God. We don't muster faith. It's a gift from God. 
Notice the verb in this section, verbs, all the verbs, but for instance, just look at them. They're mostly in kind of a passive sense. You were redeemed. You didn't redeem yourself. Through him you believed in God. The problem is, as John Piper wrote, our condition before the new birth is that we treasure sin and self-exaltation so much we cannot treasure Christ supremely. And we are guilty for this. This is real evil in us, he writes. We're helpless to fix our condition, but when we hear the good news, the gospel of Christ, a seed is planted. And that seed, according to Christ's parable in, in Matthew 13, takes different forms in different people. Some cases it just never grows at all. Some cases starts growing, gets choked out. In some cases it eventually grows and produces fruit, multiplies many, many times over. And that seed is the Word of God which contains the gospel of Christ, the good news that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't miss this. It is the person who has received Christ into their hearts and is striving to follow Him who knows without a doubt that it's all undeserved. But what does that say if we claim we are saved but still treasure sin and pride or, as one person put it, still live like garbage? For example, uh, I've heard Christians even sometimes say, I have no regrets. Really? You have no regrets? I have regrets. There are things in my past that I can't change anymore. I've lost the opportunity to redo them. And so have you. What about, uh, what about the time you were not quite honest with someone? Or you broke trust with someone, maybe someone very close to you, and you can't recover that. Dr. Noam Schmanzer wrote in a recent Psychology Today uh, article, he said, having no regrets means, means having not lived. You can't change some things. What about when you walked away from a person who needed you? And you just didn't want to take the time or make the effort to help them because it cost too much. Can't get that back. How about someone where you thought there might have been an open door? How many times has this happened to me? I walked away and said, I could have talked about Jesus with that person. And I didn't do it. You know, I can't get that back. Actually, I don't like that kind of in introspection because it causes me to tremble before the God who made me and saved me and called me and dwells me with His Holy Spirit and before whom I will stand one day to give an account for everything I've done and not done. Knowing how huge the gift of salvation is that we've received who else, what else should we fear besides this immense, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God to whom the darkness we use to hide our sin is, as David says in Psalm 139, as bright as day. And who else 
should we love more? Instead of a God whose very essence is love and who has loved us without reservation. Does this kind of talk about God bother you? Do you think I, I'm describing him well? Just never forget who this God is. This is the God who spoke creation into existence, who caused the serpent to lose his legs after he tempted Eve and slither on the ground, who split the Red Sea in two to help his children escape and then slammed it together to drown Pharaoh's army, who whispered to Elijah on the mountain, who turned Herod into a quivering mass of nerves, even to the extent that he would kill multiple children to save his monarchy after, after Jesus was born, who sent Jesus to calm the sea and raise Lazarus and endure the weight of the sins of the world and, and rose from the dead and will dominate judgment at that time. My friend, that God loves you and he loves me. The one who could snuff out our existence by a mere thought or word has chosen to offer salvation. And knowing who he is and what he can do should rightfully reduce us to masses of quivering flesh, except that he said, I love you. And he loved us first. And then instead of terror, we respect him and we honor him with the way we think and talk and live. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is our only hope. There is no other hope. We find security in so many things, but he's our only security. And if God is your only hope, then you won't fear losing anything else. And when you truly fear him, there's nothing else to fear because you are living with him as your only hope and nothing ever will or can defeat his purpose. So Peter wrote, through Christ you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, I should get to the last point. And it's this, cultivate love for each other. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, Peter wrote. The salvation that we've received doesn't rust, it doesn't rot away, he said in that same passage. It lasts forever. And its most visible product is that those who have it generally, naturally have a love for others who have it too. We have in common the greatest thing in the universe. And together we are experiencing forgiveness and hope and a life that imitates Jesus more every day. But this love he's placed in our hearts also needs to be exercised. That's why he said, you have sincere love for each other. Now love one another deeply. It takes practice. He's telling us to have x-ray vision seen through the mist of personality and idiosyncrasies to see a person who is loved by Christ and contains the same treasure that we do, the Holy Spirit planted in our lives. He's telling us to understand that one day we'll not only all as believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 
but we will also be in heaven together. And what does that mean? Look around you today. Just look around in this room a little bit. Good. Well, look at each other a little bit. You know, we don't... You know, I was looking at the preacher. I'm getting a little uncomfortable. Look, look at each other. Hmm. What are your thoughts when you think of spending an eternity in heaven with some of these folks around you? Is it, oh, I can't wait for that? Or, oh, God, no, not that person. <laughs> and may I ask, how is the way you are loving each other playing on the stage of this world? Is that love causing others to say, I want some of that? Or to say, Christians are no different than anybody else. Served uh, 12 years as a regional minister in the Northern Plains region, which is essentially uh, North Dakota and Manitoba. And then I've done other things too, you know. Pastored for many, many years. Planted a church in Northern California. Pastoral coach half-time in a church plant where we planted another church after I was regional minister. Interim pastor. Done a lot of stuff. Some of it fairly well, some of it not so well. But I'll tell you, the saddest thing in the world is to have to deal with a church that has been so conflicted that their reputation, and because of it, the reputation of Jesus in their communities has been altered to the extent that even if they still meet on Sunday mornings, they shouldn't. How we love each other is going to determine our impact in our communities. We need to have that x-ray vision. But then there are churches that I know where the opposite has happened. I pray that it is and will more and more become your experience as days go by where people do look at that congregation and say, there's something about them. I love when I'm around those people. They love each other so much. You're about to embark on a journey you've never experienced. Say, oh yeah, we've been, someone said, been here forever. We see pastors come, pastors go, you know. We'll stay here, and if possible, we won't change much. But you've never been through this one before. You've never been this congregation before. Since Pastor John came and Vicki, you've had funerals. You've had a few new people show up. It's a different world we live in. Our culture is rapidly changing. You've never had this experience before. An interim pastor is going to come and lead you if that works the way it seems it, it might. He's going to be different than Pastor John. When I resigned uh, from our last church in Grand Forks after 17 and a half years, I said, now that I've resigned, I, I want to recognize that some of you when you heard this are, are in shock. There might be a tear rolling down your cheek. 
Some of you are going, well, pastors come and pastors go. You know, we'll survive. Others of you are secretly rejoicing. (laughs) It's kind of the way life is, isn't it? But that interim pastor is going to be a little different, and he's going to come with a different purpose. His purpose will be to help you take stock of who you are and what you're like and how you function in light of the fact that you want the next pastor to come and have the freedom to lead you to places you've never been before. That's his job. And so I pray that you'll allow him to help you create a a new environment. He'll ask your help in identifying your strengths as well as areas that need to be better conformed to the will of God. You'll be asked to look inward so you can reach outward better. I'm going to stay in touch with the interim pastor as long as I'm doing this work, and I hope that maybe that won't last, certainly past June. Um, and, and the new regional minister comes in and does, I'm just working with Minnesota and Iowa and Ron Norman, if you ever heard his name, is working with Wisconsin and Illinois in the upper Mississippi region. And, and then this guy's going to work with all of you. And I, I assume he'll do the same kinds of things. But to benefit from this time, this ministry that's going to happen in these next months, will require that you pray and think hard about who you are, change where necessary, practice loving each other more deeply than ever before. And to do that, you're going to have to have that x-ray vision I talked about. There's some things that just irritate us about each other. Let's face it. Every night before we go to bed, this is a joke, by the way, I turn to Joe and I just say, I'm sorry. You were right, and I was wrong, and I'll never do it again. It doesn't matter what's going on during the day. I just think that's a good way to end the day. We need to have that kind of heart. There's things that irritate you. Like, (laughs) these things. See, I grew up where these things that drive on the road, this certain type of vehicle, were called pickups. What are they called now? No, they're called trucks. They're called trucks. There's something that happens to a man when he gets in a truck. Um, happened this morning when we were coming. We were having to merge into single lane to get in the narrow part of Highway 7. And I saw that, I mean, I needed to merge, and there was this red truck. And you know what he did? He didn't, he didn't put on the brakes. He stepped on the gas. That's just irritating. There are people like that around you. And so as we close this morning, I have three questions to ponder. They're there for you. You can look at them. What changes are you seeing in your life that point to the fact that you are following Jesus? What are you concerned about losing that occupies your mind so much, maybe wakes you up at night? And how do you need to replace those kinds of fears with the reverent fear of God? And who do you need to begin serving 
so that you can learn how to love them the way Jesus has called you to love them. You know the best way to do it? Is start praying for them every day. It's hard to pray for some every day and, and, and not change your attitude to them. They won't probably change much. Or maybe they will. Or maybe they'll just look different through your eyes. It's been good to be in the Word today. appreciate being with you. I just want to pray as we close. Father, I realize today I've been talking mostly to people who have trusted Christ as their Savior, but perchance if there's someone in this room who has not made that transaction of saying, Lord, I am a sin sinful person, and I have failed to live up to your standards, and I can't, but I need forgiveness. And so I receive Jesus into my heart right now. God, I pray that that might be happening, even in this moment. And I thank you for these people, for this beautiful room in which we could worship God. May you do a work in their lives and their hearts, corporately and individually, that there will be differences seen that show that while Jesus is moving forward, they are too. For I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Good words. Remember when you were a kid and you were in school and the teacher called Roll, called your name, and you said, Here, I. When we got older, we said, Yo. We're going to sing a song to close our service. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When Jesus calls your name, will you be there? Good words from Phil as to... Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.